The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this week's edition of Bench with Bubba, let me talk to you about Draft. Draft Draft.com is one of the coolest new ways to play fantasy sports. You get to draft against you know, three, five, ten-man competitions. There's new drafts starting every five minutes. Your chances of winning on draft are over 80% better than on salary cap sites. That's why you need to try draft. No more getting crushed by the pros. More than one million people have already downloaded draft. You can play in real life NBA, NFL. They have NHL. PGA is a great one. They have MLB. They have them all. And it keeps getting better, better, and better. Drafts usually finish in under five minutes. You get paid the next day. The event finishes. But they're fi- and they're filling fast. Every second, drafts are filling. They have them up until your games begin. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit. And you have to use the promo code SD Sports. All one word, SD Sports. That's right. Playing a real money draft for free by using the promo code SD Sports. But it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering a money-back guarantee up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to Draft.com and come play for free right now with promo code SD Sports. Void or prohibited, must be 18 or older. See website for details. Offer must be redeemed within 14 days. Now to this week's edition of Benched with Bubba. everybody to another edition of benched with bubba episode 80 got a special friend of mine joining us today to talk some fantasy baseball action you can find his work on roto grinders he is a fswa winner this past year for his humor article of the year from football work over there but more importantly where i got to know this is on the baseball holics anonymous podcast with his co-host doug thornburn so you you should guess by now i'm talking about the one and only sammy reed thanks for joining us sammy Thanks, man. I'm, I'm excited to be on here. I do have to say that FSWA award might be the worst thing that ever happened to me because now people expect me to be funny. You know, the bar has been set high and, and I like have fleeting moments, but it's definitely not a 
not a constant thing for me to be humorous. So, well, I loved when you explained that. Um, I can't remember which podcast. It might have been on your your baseball holics when Doug was asking you about it, and you basically said, "My goal isn't to be humorous. They just thought it was humorous and it worked <laughs> out." Like, that's totally what was great about it. <laughs> totally what happened, man. Totally what happened, but. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be on the podcast. I'm pumped to talk some baseball with you. A little bit nervous because you and I have a the barf draft together coming up next week, and I don't want to give away all my secrets, but, you know, it's part of the deal. Yeah, like when I, when I got closer and I went to DM you about, hey, we still on? I'm like, damn it, I should have scheduled this like a week later, and we could have really had some fun with this, but now it's like gloves are still on. But That's um, all right. We can, we can make fun of each other for our teams on Twitter. It'll be great. Oh, it will happen too, because you know the expert Justin Mason will tell us how wrong we were. Um, <laughs> but let's get into something that, to me, I just kind of watched as an innocent bystander. It's, it got really interesting on Twitter between you know you weren't even trying to start a conflict, but certain people took things the wrong way. Draft tiers, draft rankings, how it all works. Let's just kind of start with the basics. Which one do you prefer? Uh, so I actually prefer a mix of them. You know, it's like, do I like sweet chicken or do I like sour chicken? Well, guess what? I like both. I like sweet and sour chicken. And, you know, I didn't really understand. I mean, people were getting super fired up. I mean, people were shading the hell out of tears. And then, you know, it started like branching off into, well, I like positional rankings. Well, I like overall rankings. And, you know, people really start getting fired up about it. And, and to me, I mean, I don't want to say there's not a wrong answer because there probably is, but the reality is you need something that works for you and you need something that is both simple and provides context. And I think if you find that, you know, you can use a lot of these things together. It's not an either or. No, and that's the perfect answer there is, you know, teach your own. Whatever gets you to the finish line is kind of what you need to work on. And I thought it was so crazy how the, the stances, the hard stances that were taken on tiers and rankings. Because I, I, I'm a lot like you. I didn't even go. I don't go as far as you do. Uh, Sammy kind of tweeted out a picture of an example of what he had where he, he has them by position and then it's tiers based on prices. So he goes all the way to auctioning the whole cha-cha. Uh, I, I like the rankings and tiers just to give me an idea. You know, these guys are kind of leaving here, kind of keep an eye on things just as I'm going through the draft. And I remember when we did the bar football, I think you and I are like the only two there that only had papers with us. Yeah. Everybody else had laptops and stuff. Where it's like, we just have our list. We have our rankings. This is how it's going. <laughs> That's it. The old, the old pen and paper, man. It's, you know, it, I feel like all the work, when you're preparing for a draft, all the work should be done beforehand. And the draft should actually become relatively easy. And so for me, like I said, I want to be simple, but I also want to provide context. So you know, what you're talking about, what I tweeted out, when I look at my ranks, basically what I do is I group them by position and then I have a projection. And I use some different projections, like I've started incorporating Derek Carty's The Bat into it. I really like the depth charts on fan graphs. Uh, but I also want to spit out a dollar value, even for, uh, even for snake drafts, because it's all about context. One of the reasons that people don't like positional rankings is because you don't want to be that, that guy who you know, takes a shortstop, you look in the fifth round and you're like, wow, I really need a shortstop. And you just take the best shortstop. Like you should be taking best player available for at least that first part of your draft. And so I want to know that there's a $12 shortstop who's the best one, but there's also a $20 outfielder. And so even though I have my guys grouped into positions, I want to know overall what the value is because I don't want to be stunk like that. But I also want the projection up there because I don't just want to take a bunch of guys and at the end figure out, oh, I'm low on average or, you know, I don't have enough steals. I want to be able to build a balanced team. And, and so 
I want those projections so I can add them to my team as the draft goes on so that I can get an idea of like how my stats are looking and where I need to go because the draft is very much, dude, it's dynamic. It's a, it's a living, breathing thing and you really need to be on top of that. And if you do this beforehand, I feel like you're, you're just in a much better position to succeed. Well, it's like you said, you should already be at the draft knowing everything you're going to, you're not learning anything new that day. You should have your knowledge of what you're doing. Like I only bring my list basically to make sure I'm not forgetting to play like, oh crap, that guy, brain fart. That's right. all that is. Like it's, you're, you're bobbing or weaving. Like you said, it's, it's a living, breathing thing where you're in the moment. You have to adjust on the fly sometimes, especially in certain drafts. And you, you said it best the way to use the tiers it's not just and that's where people get mad about the tiers is don't just grab the guy because he's the last one in the tier this is to kind of give you an idea of you know player x still is way more valuable than player y so don't just jump to jump and uh, i think that's a very good point you're making there and that's a uh, that's where people can get confused on the tiers is a lot of like the newer players and stuff they'll literally go oh no it's the last tier you know tier one second baseman i gotta take him and that's not always the answer so um you kind of hit on those. How do you kind of go about making you, you, you mentioned your projections. Do you still make them all? I know you've talked about, you kind of taken a step back a little bit. Cause I remember you used to go all the way to like the last period. <laughs> yeah. It took, yeah, it took like a, a full month for me to make my own projections and it was such an inefficient process. And, you know, frankly, there's, there's such smart people out there able to do the work for you. Uh, I mentioned Derek Cardi, uh, the bat is a really great, projection program. I've used it before for daily fantasy and, you know, it's available for seasonal, it's on fan graphs. And there's a lot of context that goes into that. Like Derek's super smart. And so I'm like, well, does he make better projections or do I? And so uh, I think the answer to that is probably pretty clear. So, you know, I'll take something like that. Uh, and I really like the depth charts projection because they're, uh, I think they're an average uh, of zips and steamer. I want to say, maybe I got that wrong, but yeah, they're an average. And so you can run that through, uh, you know, just a, a, a program that gives you dollar values. And I don't just take that for gospel, right? I do that really early, kind of mid-February, and I, and I get my lists. And then as the off-season goes on, I'm adjusting, right? And so I have it all on a spreadsheet. So it's really easy for me to move a guy up, move a guy down, new news, new role, injury, you know, hey, I just really like this guy. Y'all only got Yelich projected for 14 steals. Well, forget all that. Yelich is going to be a monster. I'm going to 23, you know, and, and so I'll incorporate some of my own biases in there. But I, I really think it's worth doing that early so that you can get your own flavor to your rankings. But by the time the draft starts, you just got all of that. You can print out your pages, just cross guys off, and you're good to go. No, uh, I didn't put this on the outline, but it kind of came to me here. So we're, we're talking, you know, season long leagues here and you're a big DFS guy as well. So when you're, you know, building these projections, getting ready for your drafts, it obviously gets you a head start on your DFS work as you have coming up. What do you kind of take from all these projections here and transfer into your daily projections? Like how, I, I don't know if I'm wording that correctly, but the prep work you're doing for season long, how does that transition into your daily once you start there? That's such a good question, man, because I feel like these two things are really closely related, you know, it, obviously they're way different platforms, but if you really have an idea of what players you think are going to take a jump, which guys were lucky last season, et cetera, those are the guys that are probably going to be mispriced, especially early in the season. You can really get a lot of value in that regard. And so I think having those ideas 
knowing that, you know, I, I just threw Yelich out there, knowing that he's going to Miller Park and Miller Park is 17% better for left-handed home runs than the average ballpark over the last three years. Knowing that stuff, if that's not accounted for in the DK pricing algorithm or the FanDuel pricing algorithm early in the season, I think there's a lot of value to be had there. So I think that knowing your stuff and knowing, you know, who you think is undervalued, overvalued, that will translate to DFS and, and it'll be really valuable early in the season as both players and pricing are kind of struggling to find that equilibrium. Yeah, the early season's soft pricing, as a lot of us like to say. It's You can definitely take advantage of it there, and I think more so in the pitching, uh, especially pitchers in new ballparks or whatever, um, coming back from injuries that you're researching for other reasons, getting your drafts ready. So I agree with that. And I, A feeling I have is I, I feel the more I've played DFS, it makes me a better season-long player. Do you agree with that, or do you think it, it, the other way around? No, I, I fully agree with that. And, and I play – you know, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, there was a big debate on Twitter. Oh, weekly transactions versus daily transactions. And everyone was getting fired up over that. And it's like, do play what you like to play. But I play in a lot of daily transactions leagues. And playing DFS has really made me better at that because I, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to sit this pitcher. I'm going to start this pitcher. This batter is in a really good spot. And what I used to do is just keep my best players in all the time. But the better and better you get at DFS, you realize that there's little edges to gain every single day. Just like in DFS, you know, you play a lot of DFS. You might start some scrub because all the stars are aligned for him over a guy that his true talent is way better. Those contextual factors are huge. And so if you're playing daily fantasy leagues, I feel like having those options and really digging deep into the contextual factors of each day can make a big difference in your end of season performance. Yeah, I totally agree with that there. Uh, we'll move on from that, and uh, I'm curious to see where this tiers and rankings debate goes because something tells me it's not quite done yet, um, but it'll be interesting uh, to see how that all unfolds. Let's talk about – we already ha- uh, mentioned this this man's name, Justin Mason, and I've, I've broken down some great fantasy baseball teams already, and every time I say it is this guy has done an amazing job putting this league together. Fantrax has done a great job hosting it. But um, what was the number league you're in? I got your draft results pulled up. Uh, oh, you're League 8. I got you. League 8. Um, first off, before I read off the players, what were just kind of your overall thoughts on how this all unfolded? So I, I would echo your thoughts uh, with big ups to Justin Mason, man. The guy's just been been crushing all around the fantasy industry. He's a genuinely great dude, so it's really awesome to see him have success and get more notoriety, the stuff he's done doing the great fantasy invitational is really cool. So uh, I don't remember the original question, but, uh, <laughs> but over- let, me your, let me check your overall thoughts on just the draft process in general, before I break down your team and the players in it. Um, yeah, so I thought it was, I thought it was really cool. Um, I, I thought that there was a lot that goes into this because here's the thing with the great fantasy invitational, there's 195 teams, right? Broken up into whatever, 14, 15 leagues. And nobody gives a rat's ass if you finish second. And nobody even cares if you win your league. Nobody cares, oh, I'm Sammy Reed. I won League 8 back in 2018. Nobody cares. The only thing anyone cares about is finishing number one out of the 195. And so for me, I really kind of took that high-variance approach. It's like playing a GPP in DFS. You know, it's very top-heavy. And so I went with a more risky approach than I generally would. 
uh, because I wanted all the marbles. So when you look at my draft, you'll see that I did some things to kind of increase my variance there. Yeah, no, and um, on the last episode, I had a guy that you know very well. Uh, he flew out here to California to see. His name's Yancey Eaton. Yeah, and, buddy. And he had that same philosophy. It's all or nothing. I'm going for broke, and it makes total sense. Yep. Um, so in your league, you had TK421 of Fantasy Tools, The Wax Report, uh, Goldie Hart Trout, Brian Cray, Rudd from HQ, Greg Hertz from Moto Experts, Andrew Lamont, uh, B. Carey, Prospect Friend, Up in the Air, Set the Man Sports. That's, Brett that's, a, that's Jason Collette, Up in the Air. Oh, up yeah. in the Air is Jason Collette. Okay. Yep. Um, Brett Sarah from BP is very, very good at these events. Smata, who is just – I started to get to know this guy this year. My goodness how smart this guy is. Oh, and, he's um, super sharp. Yeah. No, but yeah, and uh, new team fifteen. No idea who that is. Yeah, yeah, strong, strong team name, buddy. Uh, good job. Yeah. yeah, I was, I was drafting right in between Seth and Colette and Brett Sayer and Smata. So this yeah, was like not, not a sweet spot for me to be for sure. So we'll kick it off. You did what a lot of people are doing in the back end of the draft. You picked twelfth uh, overall, and you took one of the big four. You took Chris Sale because Scherzer and Kershaw were already gone. I'm assuming Sale wasn't your number one target there. No, I would have I would have taken them in that order. I would have gone Scherzer Kershaw sale. So, I mean, you're you're really splitting hairs there. Out of the big four, Sale is the youngest, and he really hasn't had any injury concerns for the most part over his career. So, you know, I, I wasn't mad to get him, but I would have I would have gone honestly with with uh, the upside of Kershaw over him, even though Kershaw's had some issues. Yeah, no, I have Scherzer ahead of Kershaw as well. So I agree with you there. And then you wrapped it around with the big power bat, J.D. Martinez. Absolutely love that. There's nothing to even gripe about there. Um, the question I have for you, because I want to hear your fancy stat, which I always get wrong to you say it. On your third round pick, I got him. I was the second pick in our, I got him 3.2. But Brian Dozier, people don't understand how good this guy has been. If you have it available, how good has Brian Dozier been? Uh, he, he's real good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. here's the thing. I, I really like balance in my teams. I want guys with a lot of category juice, power and speed. And so Dozier over the last two seasons has 110 home runs plus steals. That's the same amount as Jose Altuve. Obviously Altuve is more steel heavy, so he has more value, but you know, Dozier is also the only player in the majors to score a hundred or more runs in each of the last four seasons. So to get him as a middle infielder in the third round, there were a lot of other guys there I liked, but Dozier just kind of fell later than I thought he would. And, you know, I, I really wanted to get power speed. You'll see with a lot of my picks, I wanted to get combo guys. So I, I jumped on Dozier there, and it was a pretty easy choice for me. And that that's what leads me to your fourth round pick. Yeah, Yellick and Starling Marte went right before this, and I'm guessing Yellick was probably a target of yours there. Oh. Just, uh, just so, just so tilted, Bubba. Just so tilted. Yeah, like, yeah, so, so I'm drafting this thing. I'm actually on my honeymoon in Mexico, right? And I'm your like, wife must love this. Oh yeah, she was pumped. But we were like, you know, we were having drinks out by the pool. Like, you know, we were getting weird. And you know, every once in a while, I'd look at my phone, and be like, oh, my pick's coming up. And so one night we went to bed, and I had just taken uh, Dozier, and I'm like, oh, for sure, I'm getting Yelich on the way back. It's all happening. And then I wake up in the morning and take a peek and see that both him and uh, and Marte had been ganked by Smat and Brett Sayer right in front of me. And so I, I, I tilted, and it was kind of between Benintendi and Abreu for me because uh, Abreu I thought was a great pick there too. But I wanted to stay with that power speed, so I went with Benny. Um, and I think he can approach 2020 again. I think he'll get great counting stats. 
This was a guy, he didn't play in the minors for very long, but he hit like 330 in the minors. So you, you can't just look at his 271 average from last year and be like, oh, that's who he is. I think there's upside there as well. No, I, I love Benintendi this year. People are giving me a hard time because I have him, I might be wrong, like the ninth outfielder for me. Uh, like I have him high just because I, I think his upside's tremendous on what he can do, and we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. But um, what made you – did you take Benintendi over a guy like Justin Upton for the upside part? Because you were mentioning like balance, and Upton is almost as consistently balanced as they come. No, he, he really is, and I, and I really like Justin Upton too. I think that one of the things was – with my first couple of picks, Benintendi is a little more steel heavy than Upton. Upton's more of a like 10 to 15 guy. It looks like Benny can, can sit around 20. So I think Upton's like equal the player. If I looked at my dollar values, I'm sure they're pretty equal. But I just wanted the guy who was a little more skewed toward the stealing side because I wasn't planning on really getting rabbits. You know what I mean? I wanted yeah. a bunch of guys who could steal 15 to 20. And then – um you also have a good trend going here. Three or first four picks are Red Sox, and you got to get Bogarts later on, so it'll make watching TV easy for you. Um, <laughs> when you when you took Xander Bogarts, uh, Andrus went off the board the round before that. Lindor Correa already gone, so Bogarts I believe was the fourth, no fifth, fifth shortstop off the board. What are you seeing that makes you jump at him? Because I, I like him as a bounce back this year. I think he can't be nearly what he was last year. Are you seeing the same thing uh, coming into eighteen? Yeah, for, for me, so Xander is one of those guys, nobody loves him because he doesn't stand out in any category. And I think that's the same thing about Benintendi. He's not going to like finish at the top in homers or steals or any of that stuff. He's just going to be solid across the board. And if you look at Xander's 2016, bro, he just crushed it. He was so freaking good. And he actually had a higher average and a higher OPS last year going into June. And then he got hit in the wrist by a pitch. And if you read an interview from him, he was like, dude, it messed me up so bad. I've never felt pain like that in my life was a quote from him. He said that he, his swing was lost. It, it caused him to change all sorts of things. And for me, I'm kind of saying, hey, that was, a, that was a lost season for him. I really believe in his talent. He's still super young. And I actually probably like Segura better than him because Segura is going to be a better base stealer, which I needed. But we were talking about that overall prize. The fact that he was a Red Sox and I had Benintendi and J.D. Martinez, we're talking about GPPs. I wanted to stack up the Sox, man. Let's yep. stack it. Like, I'm trying to win this thing. So I really wanted those guys to play off each other, and that was the deciding factor for me. Yeah, and then uh, we go on. Ian Desmond's looking better and better and uh, in the seventh round there. He's finally playing regularly, looking really good. Took him two picks ahead of Acuna. Acuna, like, did it tickle your fancy at all, or do you say there's no way? Uh, it was just too early for me. It was just yeah. a little too early. And there is 100% going to be a point in June where I look back and I'm like, dude, I'm such a fish. Why did I do that? Ian Desmond is cooked. I, I, I'm probably going to be bummed. But, you know, I mean, Desmond's just a guy who, you know, he stole 15 bags in 95 games last year. I think he can approach 20. He's that he was he was again a power speed guy that that I thought would do well there and he's in course. So, he's another dude that I think I'm just cool with writing off last year because of the injuries and hoping that he comes back. So, I, I yeah. yeah. He's too good not to be better than he was last year as for darn sure. Um one pick I absolutely loved. Somehow he fell in the ninth round to you is Joey Gallo. Uh, I think it's tremendous uh without looking farther on your team for me. Do you think you have enough batting average to keep Joey Gallo happy? 
Uh, I absolutely do not. <laughs> so, so looking, looking over my draft, you know, I, I think in drafts this season, it's super important to get average and steals early. Like I'm, I'm fully on board with Trey Turner as the number three overall pick for this reason. I'm fully on board with that. And I did not do that in this draft, uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, because I'm a fish, but number two, uh, <laughs> number two, Batting average is the most variable stat. You know what I mean? Luck plays such a role in batting average that there's a wide range of outcomes on your medium projection. And so for me, again, going for the overall prize, I was like, you know what? I'm okay not having a great average and just trying to do as well as I can everywhere else and hoping that I run good, you know, hoping that I run 10 points above expectation. That can be a big difference. So that was kind of my idea. And then just also the way the draft unfolded, man, I, I, I feel like it got away from me a little bit in those regards. I think I have myself projected for like a, you know, a 265 or a 268 average, which I'm going to need to run good to overcome that. But Joey Gallo, just in a vacuum, I freaking love. The guy's, what, 24 years old? He had a 300 plus ISO and a 14% walk rate last year. Like this guy is a freaking monster. And I know he's never going to be a batting average guy, but I think he can absolutely challenged for 40 plus again yeah there's no reason why he can't also improve to like 230 maybe and that'll just rake it up so much more oh bro i i will be so pumped my pants will be off if he hits 230 like that's like the you just get parties right happening yeah love it <laughs> love it um another guy that I'm, I'm pumped on a rebound this year you have a lot of this is a GPP team. So like the upside is so big on these guys. That's why I like it is Johnny VR. I was all team Johnny last year. And as we know how that ended, it did not end well, but regular playing time, I think he's down to be much better. Cause the, the part that I try to tell people is he doesn't have to be much better. Cause you're not drafting them in like the second round anymore. It's a, it's a big difference from what you're doing. So are you believing in the Johnny VR or is this your grab for stolen bases? It was definitely a grab. It was definitely a grab. Uh, did I take him above DeShields or did I take him after? No, I took him after. Okay. That makes me feel, that makes me feel a little bit better. Um, I, you know, VR is just one of those guys, like he was so bad last season, but if you extrapolate what he did over 600 plate appearances, he still would have stole 32 bags. And so He's that guy. If he gets the playing time, he's going to play up, pay off the price tag. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. It's just, will he be bad enough to where they replace him uh, and don't give him the playing time? And that's a legitimate concern. But like you mentioned, when you're getting him in the double digit rounds, it's a lot easier pill to swallow. There's not that many guys after round 10 that you can say, hey, I think this guy can steal 30 plus and not kill me in other places. Uh, you mentioned batting average and steals being so critical, and I agree. It, it's it's pretty rough, and I'm not it, just in general, not your team, but in general, it's, it's tough to find it. Um, I'm not going to go through. Well, I'm going to go through some more of your guys here in a minute. Now I saw some names, but when you're looking at the end game, because that's where you know you're taking your chances, you're doing this. You made one pick on your end game that I made with my last pick in Joe Mauer as a batting average like savant, basically. What other kind of guys are you looking at for steals and batting average late in drafts? Yeah, I I, I think that that's just a, a super strong play. Joe Maurer, I mean, nobody likes him anymore, but, dude, he's he's probably going to approach 280-plus, could be 290-300. Guys later that, that hit for a decent average, David Peralta, I think he's right around 290 uh, career, and he's slated to hit leadoff for Arizona so far. People are scared off by the humidor. I get it, but 
I think he's solid and average. Michael Brantley's a dude I'm all over late. I, I mean, if you think about Michael Brantley, he's that guy who career, he's a 292 hitter. And since 2014, he's averaged 19 homers and 21 steals and 99 RBIs per 162 games. Now, the big problem with him is that uh, obviously he's always hurt and he never plays any games. So that's a problem. But when you're getting him, his, his ADP in NFBC right now is picked 243. It's like if he's healthy, if he's healthy, he's going to provide like Christian Yelich light numbers and average is just so bad that, dude, when you're getting him outside pick 200, like pick 240, I think that's a great time to gamble on that upside that he can get in 130 games. Yeah, I love your yonder Alonzo Lucas due to 18th, 19th round picks. Talk about power with upside at that point in the draft. Those are pretty awesome there. Um, but the pick at round 20 I want to talk about, I can't believe he fell to you there. I'm jealous of this. Um, our good buddy Vlad Sedler sniped me of this one, given I don't know if you can snipe someone like six picks ahead of time, but I saw it coming from there. Um, Wilson Ramos at catcher is so underappreciated right now, in my opinion. So I think that is tremendous right there. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks man. T tell me a little bit about why you like Wilson Ramos. Well, let's just look at the fact that he played in minimal action last year and uh, top of my head was he 270-something, 280-something average with power, going to hit in the middle of an order. He has job stability. There's no one taking his job there. Where catchers, you're, you're worried about stuff. So you should get about 140 games from Wilson Ramos. And um, that's just the, the basis of it. I love his power and average for a catcher, which you just don't get in many positions. I'm, I'm fully on board. And I think he was the guy who had, like, he had, like, eye surgery, like, LASIK yes. a couple years ago or something. And then he had that monster year with Washington, and then he got hurt. But, yep. you know, he really hasn't had the time to put up the stats because of the injuries. But if he stays healthy, man, I, I think that's still very much in play. So I, I agree with that. Yeah, I think he's just getting so overlooked. But then again, to start the year on NFBC, he was, like, the – 18th or 19th catcher he's all the way up to eighth now so he's definitely climbing that ladder that's vlad's and, fault man vlad's killing us with this with this yeah. uh and people are starting to listen to him because he's extraordinarily sharp so people uh, know something to listen about to that guy you know you win a few championships and they listen to you which <laughs> um it's just crazy um closers this is i, I looking at your roster this caught my attention because i was going to ask you First off, the first closer is Kim Lee Jansen. He went off the board at the beginning of the third round. I took him at the beginning of the fifth round. He was the first closer in our league. He went to third. Kimbrell went in the fourth. They had Chapman and Knievel in the fifth, and then it just sporadically throughout. You know, you pay attention to tout and labor and all these industry leagues. It seems that closers are going earlier and earlier. What's the philosophy there before we go into your philosophy on your team? Yeah, I mean, the, the philosophy there is that closers are just so, they're so volatile that if you can find the one that you can count on, that's huge. Um, because not only, not only is it good for your value, but, you know, when you're thinking of fab throughout the season, you don't want to be that guy that's just burning fab all season on this closer. It's like, oh, he might get the job and he gets one save and he blows it and then you got to spend on somebody else. That's a carousel that you do not want to be on. So I get the sentiment behind it, but personally, I just don't subscribe. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm big, you know, Rob Silver, uh, one of Lad's buddies and, and a buddy of mine who I think is extraordinarily sharp as well. Yep. Um, 
you know, he was just talking about the rate of return on early round closers. And even when they hit, they're not getting the value for that round, especially when you're talking the third, fourth round. You see Kenley going in the third. That's just not something I would ever do. And that's pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, it's just, dude, I mean, it is what it is, but everyone's got their own strategy. I don't think mathematically it really works out. Uh, so for me in this draft, I waited until whatever round. 12, you went 12, 13, 14, and 16 with closers of Jerice Familia, Kelvin Herrera, Greg Holland, who's not employed yet, yes. and Shane Green. What was your thought process here? Because it's very interesting. I think this could pay off big time for you. What's your process? My, my process was is that there's 195 teams here, and I would like to finish like 100 or 70th or better in that category. You know what I mean? And they, these guys were just falling. I mean, if you look at the draft last year, Familia and Kelvin Herrera were like top 10 closers. You know what I mean? Uh, Greg Holland, dude, I don't know where he's going to sign. I don't know if he's going to sign. That, that might have been a bad pick. I don't know. I actually don't mind Shane Green. There's not that much in the Detroit bullpen. Shane Green was throwing an average of 96.1 miles an hour last year. He was better than people think. And I just wanted I wanted to lead the league in saves and, uh, and not spend a lot of draft equity on that. So I feel like I accomplished that. If Greg Holland signs somewhere and gets a job, that'll be huge. But I also might have just lit a pick on fire. We'll see. Well, and people got to remember when you made that pick in the – was it the 14th round? That was probably almost a month ago based on the slow draft. And right. back, back then you still thought he was going to sign somewhere. Like yeah. it's not like you did last weekend. Right. So, yeah. The time, time is making me less optimistic for sure. <laughs> yeah. That, that happens. He'll sign somewhere. It just depends on what role, but um, without going over the rest of your team, cause I, we could talk every player you go in Arizona diamondbacks run it at one point with Marte Dyson and Owings, which I like. You got our Michael Kopech. I love that upside there with one of your last picks. Overall, what's your take on your team? Are, are you pretty pumped on it? Because when you look at Smata's amazing um, chart, which is available to anybody to view, it's on his page. I believe you were ranked uh, were you top 10 overall or something. I'm trying to find it. What, what, was, what were you ranked? I, I don't remember what I was ranked overall. I, it wasn't that good, but I was my offense was ranked number one in all of – TGFBI, which I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if my offense is that good, but I think it's pretty good um, overall. I mean, it was a tough draft. Like I just did a, a home league last night, and it was so lit, dude. Every player I liked just fell to me. Nobody sniped me. I was just getting all the values. It was just amazing. In this draft, this was tough, man. Being around all the sharks, I was sniped so many times. I was constantly on tilt. You know, it was just like a war of attrition. You know, everyone was sniping everybody. Everyone's values were, I don't want to say the same, but, you know, there's sharp people and they're going to notice the sharp players. And so there wasn't a lot of stuff. Oh, how did you get this guy in this round? Like, dude, that rarely happens. So it was a war of attrition. Uh, I think I did really well with power, getting combo players. I, I like my closing situation. Even just having three closers in a 15-teamer is is pretty solid. Uh, and then my average is bad and my starting pitching core is is bad. So those are things I'm going to have to manage up throughout the season. I think I have a team that can compete, but I do not think I have close to the best team. So it's going to it's going to take some tender, loving care throughout the season to get this thing done. I like it. Um, you mentioned with your closers, you were trying to be like, you know, 70th, 100th overall. Did you act, actually have an active like list you're trying to make sure you hit certain numbers or were you just kind of guessing as you went? So 
No, uh, and I usually do. I did not have very good. So I did for my offense actually because I took some NFBC, uh, some NFBC stuff from last year, but I didn't have any for, for pitching. I was keeping track as I went along. Um, but one of the things I do, like I didn't, this league wasn't around last year, so it's tough to tell what exactly you need. But like this home draft I did last night, it's a keeper league. And so I looked at what would I need to finish second in every category? And so I made that my goal. Um, so I looked for the last couple of years, averaged it out and said, okay, I need, you know, whatever, a, a thousand runs and, you know, 900 RBIs, whatever those numbers were. And then I started plugging my projections into the spreadsheet as it went along so I could see how close to goal I am. So short version is I didn't really do that for TGFBI, but I do do that in general. And I think it's a, a smart thing to do. No, I like that a lot. And that's something we talked about on a previous podcast about getting your spreadsheet out and kind of give you a, an idea of where you need to be. We take this brief break from Bench with Bubba to talk to you about RotoWare. It's one of the best quality shirts in the industry. When I mean industry, all the clothing industry, the fantasy sports industry, because people are rocking it. They're loving it. You're seeing it in a lot of big outlets now that no other brand can compete with RotoWare in terms of quality. They're premium blend fabric, super soft, comfortable, athletic fit shirts. They specialize with a special, special printing process. The design is part of the shirt. Literally, it is dyed and bleached into the fabric. No thick ink. There's over 30 different designs right now. It's just crazy, all the stuff they have coming out, and there's more and more stuff every time you turn your head. They have fantasy football, baseball, hockey, basketball, some really cool DFS ones, but everything's great. They have men's, women's, and kids. Check them all out. Go to rotoware.com, R-O-T-O-W-E-A-R.com. Check them out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at rotoware. But the cool part, guys, if you use the promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, you get 20% off your order. Again, promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S. Check their site out. Check them Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. They're always giving away free shirts. And then when you go to purchase the ones you want for you, your loved ones, your friends, your family, whatever, use promo code DGENS, D-E-G-E-N-S, for 20% off your order. Now back to this week's episode of Bench with Bubba. Uh, the last thing we'll, we'll work on here is we'll talk about some players that have had either some good springs, some bad springs, some weird news, like all of a sudden sent down with surprise of many, and how we're kind of approaching them come draft season because uh, there's still basically two weekends to draft. A lot of guys will be putting in work right now, and uh, these last roster moves could be interesting. So let's talk one, Shohei Otani, who, as many know, have has just not had the uh, first you know glimpse in the U.S. people were hoping for. Not quite working out there. The the Angels came out yesterday and already said, no, he's fine. Nothing to worry about. He's going to start with the team, so on and so forth. I have no shares of Otani that I believe of. What's your take on him and um, what they're going to do? Because I wouldn't have been shocked if they sent him down personally. No, I, I wouldn't have either. And, I mean, he has been bad in spring. He's just getting smashed, bro, like on the mound and at the dish. He's just getting schooled up. And let's take a step back and understand this should not be that unexpected, right? He's 23 years old. He's in a new country. He's in a new league. All these things, like, I I don't think all of a sudden he sucks because he's having a bad spring. But I do think when you're looking for the 2018 season, just raw usage is going to be a problem. Like, you know, you you play NFL DFS, yeah? Yep. You know that it's all about opportunities and this and that. That's the challenge with Otani is that, if you were going to set an over under for his innings pitched, I mean, maybe 140. That's the know? number that pops into my head. Yeah. That would be, that would be a good median expectation, maybe 200 plate appearances. 
you know, if he starts twice a week, I mean, it could be, it could be zero if they're just like, Hey dude, like we're, we're going to have you concentrate on one thing. You never know. But overall, I just don't think there's that kind of usage. I think he went in the fifth round of my fantasy invitational league. And it's just like, dude, I don't think he's going to get enough run on the field to, to justify that kind of price tag. Yeah, you can tell the NFB steam's coming down in uh, just the month of March. He's the 78th guy off the board all of a sudden, which much lower than he used to be coming out. And I, I just need to see more. Like you said, the thing is, is it's not unexpected the way people are making it out to be. And he's going to take some bumps to get there. His stuff looks filthy on the mound. That's just not translating. That makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about a guy in Matt Kemp. Came over from the Braves, back to the Dodgers, the 311th player overall off the board, 79th outfielder and he's had a pretty awesome spring training for the Dodgers uh 41 at bats he's got 13 hits 342 366 711 slash line four home runs do you have any desire to take darts on Matt Kemp uh I have negative desire for Matt Kemp and I mean part of this part of this may or may not be because I'm a Padres fan and he was one of the many egregious signings and trades that we made I think I think we traded Yasmani Grandal for him. Good job, Padres. Another another slick move, as usual. Um, <laughs> but I think the challenge with Matt Kemp is not just, you know, potentially that he's not good at baseball anymore, but that his usage, I mean, he's probably going to be a, the right-handed part of a platoon. He'll probably get some run against lefties for L.A. I think in daily fantasy, that does interest me. There are going to be times where – you know, he's 2,800 or 3,200 on DraftKings and he's hitting fifth against a bad lefty. I'm going to be all over that. But as far as season long, I don't think he'll play enough for that to for that to be there. Um, maybe in a deep NL only, daily moves leagues where you can potentially like get him in when you want. But in general, probably not. Yeah, I think a daily moves leagues, he makes sense in a deep one, probably at that. Yeah. But uh, I love the daily fantasy idea that, that you mentioned there. I guess picture now facing the Giants on a Wednesday afternoon, 12:35 pitch, and Ty Block starting. <laughs> yes, that can look so glorious right about now. I, I can picture it now, home run derby. <laughs> you got to get after Ty Block, that's for sure. Yes, my God, if you can't do that, then you retire. Um, let's talk one that surprised some people for the Texas Rangers. Didn't really surprise me because he, they're not going to DH this guy over Shinsu Chu. And we're talking Willie Calhoun, who sure he hit well. He only hit 243, but he showed a little pop uh, with one homer and just kind of did the mediocre things. But people know his hit tool is legit. He's gotten that done. He's going 254 in the NFBCs. But I think he just needs more seasoning in the minors. Many are saying, oh, it's just a, a time thing and they, they want more years of him, maybe. But uh, what's your take on Calhoun? Because a lot of people took serious gambles on it thinking he'd be there day one. Yeah, I, I actually tend to agree with you on this. I don't think it was just a service time thing. I mean, the reality is, I mean, how much did he play last year? He had like, you know, 40 at-bats last year or something. I'm just pulling that number out of, out of my I got it right here. He was uh, 9 for 34. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why people expected him to just from day one start and just be there. Like, that That just doesn't happen that often, right? And maybe if you had torn it up in spring, yes, uh, but I think what a lot of people did is they looked at the projection systems, which freaking love Willie Calhoun. And they were like, dude, Texas would be stupid not to just have him up. And uh, Texas does not, the Rangers do not make their decisions based on steamer projections. That's not how it works. But 
I mean, those projection systems, they have him popping 30 plus bombs. And in the last two years in the minors, he hit 27 and 31 home runs. I mean, he's, he can smash. And so I think the thing with Calhoun is that there's a big hole in left field. I think they're going to do some sort of Ryan Rua, Drew Robinson kind of platoon out there. Um, and so when Calhoun is ready, I think they can shift Chu out there. They can make Calhoun the DH. You know, I, I think he'll be up. And, and I don't know that he'll be in the minors that long, but, you know, I, I wouldn't expect him just to come up on April 14th like Ronald Acuna. You know, I, I think he'll need some time in the minors. Yeah, I think he does. But a guy that I don't feel needs a ton of time in the minors, and it's more of just who's he going to play for. And I was actually talking with Rob Silver about this the other day on Twitter about maybe he's a super utility until someone plays himself out of a position. And I'm talking about the Phillies prospect, Scott Kingery, who is just torching it this spring. And I want to clarify, because I keep saying spring stats. Do not believe all spring stats and all created equal. But <laughs> I'm just trying to say, you know, you, there are certain guys to pay attention to. And Kingery off to a hot start, 305th off the board in the NFBC. It's going to be hard to keep that battle lineup too long. Um, this is actually a guy I have taken. A, I think I had him in the TG FBI. What's your thoughts on Kingery? I like that. I mean, Kingery, he was that guy who always had a real nice hit tool, but never showed a modicum of power his, you know, his whole career until last year. He just started bombing, right? And I think he, I think he hit like 26 homers or something like that. Um, but uh, he was really good. Now his ballpark in double a was a really good hitters park. So we need to kind of take that into context. But when a prospect takes a big jump like that, I mean, in general, when they're really young, like Kingery is, it's like, Hey, this guy's skills are expanding. And so I would probably put a Kingery like right at, or right outside my top five offensive prospects. Like obviously it's Acuna and Robles. And then you get into like Glaber Torres and Calhoun and then after that, man, it's like, dude, you got that like Mejia, Nick Senzo, Kingery. And it, when you look at Philly, it's like they don't seem to have a glaring hole. You know what I mean? They got Cesar Hernandez at mm-hmm. second and they got exactly. Mikhail Franco at third. But Mikhail Franco is a blunder and a fool. Like, it's horrible. He's just god awful. He's like, you want to talk it? about a blunder and a fool? I've seen Pablo Sandoval. This guy's reminiscent. <laughs> Yeah, all he needs to do is start like packing in those chicken wings, and he could be Sandoval-ish for sure. Yeah. And and that hurts me because I actually really like Sandoval when he was younger. So um, he was, dude, he was good. But I, I I think if their patience starts wearing thin with Franco and he does not perform, I I think there's an easy way for for uh, Kingery to get up. So I, I like that pick. Yeah, and that, that's my theory I was talking with Rob about is I think that's his spot is third base because I just – I was big on Franco when he first came up. Everything looked great, and everything just looks so bad and doesn't look to be improving at all. But maybe he finds it. You never know. He's still so young. You know, he could still give – Kingery could play a game at second because I don't want them to get rid of Cesar Fernandez. They have to play J.P. Crawford, like you said. So it'd be very interesting to see how that all plays out there. Let's get to – you know, this is where you have to sit on a fence. You either have to be on one of the two sides. No, no, nothing in the middle. You got to pick your side. And it's very interesting debates this year. Miguel Cabrera. Um, he'll go down as one of the best hitters in baseball history. There's no question that. But the back's been an issue. And when you get to that age, backs just tend to be an issue. He finally had an opposite field home run the other day, which gave me hope for my hope that he becomes something this year. But it could just be all false hope. Um, 
he is hitting 342 though. That's the thing that gets me excited. His average is there this spring. He's still even at the rough year last year in 2017. He hit 250, and that's what got everybody's attention. You get him extremely late right now. He's coming off the board, well, late for his standards, around the hundredth pick. What's your thoughts on Miguel Cabrera this year? So uh, our, our current president would not like me because I definitely jumped the fence on Miggy. Like early <laughs> early in the offseason, I, uh, I was on Miggy and I was like, dude, he's like going in the seventh, eighth round. It's lit. Like it's going to be great. And uh, because I tend to like guys that are coming, good players that are coming off bad years. I just think yeah. in general, if you think the skills are still intact, like those are situations, people overreact to what happened last season. So you want to look at the body of work. So I was pretty pumped. Like we were in uh, we were in Arizona for the Arizona Fall League, and we started an NFBC there. And me and Doug, we co-manage a team, and I think we took him in like the seventh or the eighth. And I was super pumped. And just the more time's gone on, I, I've just gotten less and less stoked on him. I mean, because I, I think what you're saying is exactly right. When you get into your mid 30s and you have herniated discs in your back, dude, that stuff does not just clear up. Like I'm no genius, I'm no doctor, but that's not good. And you're absolutely right. You need to take a you need to take a stand because I feel like either he's going to perform like a third rounder or he's going to be a borderline drop. Right? Uh, yeah. For me, I I think where he's going, I think it's a value potentially, but I think there's other guys there that I like just as much that I feel more confident in. So I'm probably just not going to own a ton of Miggy this year, and uh, I'm I'm praying I'm like hoping for him to to prove me wrong because I mean. He's like an all-time great player, and he's been amazing to watch for the last 12 years. Yeah, he'll have Nick Castellanos in front of him, so that hopefully helps things a little bit. But um, we'll see because, yeah, it was a shame to watch last year's show of Miggy. And he played hurt almost all year last year too, so that's something else to think about. Um, be really interesting to see how he, he pans out. Let's talk another guy that struggled immensely last year, at least in batting average at 204. And I know batting average is not the end-all, be-all. It'll make some – Fantasy analysis people puke that I mentioned bad average over and over, but that's what we get graded on. So 204, he did hit 30 home runs for the second straight year, 30-plus home runs. Talking Ruggie Odor, he played all 162 games last year as well, which pretty darn impressive. This spring, though, again, hitting a buck 71 with zero home runs. Ugh. Is there serious cause for concern with Ruggie? Because <laughs> this was a name that everybody was like, oh, yeah, the bounce back, I'm all in, trying to be that you know unique guy. This one scares me. Yeah, I so I've gone like the opposite way of Miggy at the beginning of the offseason. I was like, forget Runet Odor, man. Like that guy's that guy's terrible. I mean, and he was. He was legit like one of the ten worst players in Major League Baseball last year. And I mean, I'll bet his fantasy owners wished he didn't play 162 games. You know? yeah, no shit. But it it is one of those things. The guy's 24 years old, and when you look at like, dude, I, I think. You can't just look at BABIP and say, oh, he had a terrible BABIP. It's going to get better. Like hitters all have different BABIP baselines and there's a lot that goes into it. But his BABIP last year, 224, that's like legit unsustainable. Like my grandma could muster a 240 BABIP in the major leagues. You know what I mean? So Runa and Runa Dador, I mean, you see that he's he's he has an isolated slugging of 200 or better pretty much every year of his career. Last year it was 193. Um but he's still got pop and obviously the 30 homers throws that out there. But I think like last year was a worst case scenario for him and he still popped 30 and stole 15 bags. It's like, 
if that's going to be the worst he does, I think I'm like, okay, to sign up for that and hope that that BABIP normalizes a little bit. He can hit in the 250s and still provide that real nice category juice. Yeah, and that's the thing is I think that 250 is legit because pretty much his whole career, like you're saying, he's been a 250-plus hitter. So you got to expect something to come back there, and the power is legit. And you get the 15-plus steals to go with it. So yeah. if he can just put the damn ball in play, we might have something to look forward to there. Yeah, he could, um, he could easily – look at where he was drafted the last couple of years. Look at how young he is. He could easily be Brian Dozier's equal. There's like no – there's yeah. there's certainly a range of outcomes where that happens. Well, he basically is Dozier minus the average. Like that's sure. Dozier to a T right there. So, yeah, I'm on board with that. Let's talk about a guy that uh, finally made his spring debut, and we kind of mentioned him as he is on your TG FBI team, hitting a buck 35 this spring, which is not ideal, but he hit two homers in the game the other night. He's been battling injuries off and on, and hopefully he gets healthy for the season. We're talking Ian Desmond, who you did take your gamble on, as you mentioned, and you're kind of wondering about that. But time will tell, obviously. Can't dwell on that now. Um, when you're looking at NFBCs over the last month in my stupid computer, there we go. Um, he's dropped down to 114. He's right behind Joey Gallo. So what's your thoughts on Desmond? Obviously, you have some good thoughts, I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, they're okay. I mean, I will tell you, I like pay attention to spring almost not at all. And yet when he hit two home runs in one game, I was like, oh, thank the good Lord. You know? yeah, thank God. Ian Desmond has a pulse. This is amazing news. Um, I, I do like him as a rebound candidate. I wish he was going a little later. You know, I wish we were getting a little more of a discount on that, uh, but we're not. And the reality is he's hit 19 homers, 22 steals per 162 in his career. And combo players are just guys that I tend to, the way I approach fantasy, I tend to get a lot of guys like this. I don't like taking the, you know, Dysons, et cetera, in the late rounds and just hoping it all happens, you know, having to stomach Billy Hamilton. I'm trying to avoid that noise if I can. And so I want guys that can approach 2020. I mean, I was praying that Will the Thrill Myers made it to me in the Great Fantasy Invitational. How it dare you? Missed How dare you? <laughs> yeah, but it's, o- it's only with one L, Bubba. It's okay. God. <laughs> hey, I got a surprise for you Saturday, by the way, after comments like that. So you just wait. Oh, did, tell tell me you got a Will the Thrill old school Giants jersey to go. Yes, sir. Oh, this is Battle of the great. Bay, nineteen eighty nine. This is this is going to be. I'm I'm really excited for that. I will wear my Will Myers jersey, and we can you know be be collective thrills together. You know, there we go. I can work with that. <laughs> but yeah, I I you know Desmond. I'm not going to say oh he's just going to be so great, but I think Coors obviously heals a lot of wounds, and yes. I think when you can get category juice with some nice average and core should, you know, bump him up into that, you know, 270, 275-ish range. You know, I, I think that's going to be fine. I'm not, like, super pumped on Desmond, but, you know, as, as part of my strategy, I'm, like, okay with it. All right, last one I want to ask you about, and I figure this won't throw, be too much of a curveball because you've talked about him a little bit, is Christian Yellick. And it's nothing, you know, poor that he's doing. I just want to ask you because he's going uh, – he's hit 281 with a homer this spring – He's going about 50th overall, but the part that I was I was going over the tout auction values this past week, and he went for two dollars cheaper than um, Charlie Blackman in an NLA. Uh, yeah. uh, so the spectrum on what people think Yellick can do is insane. What do you think Yellick can do? Is he worth two dollars less than Charlie Blackman? No, he's probably not worth quite that much. And I was you know, shocked. Yeah, it's it's definitely like. 
the helium is happening. Like, it's not a bold call to say, oh, I like Christian Yelich. Like, I, I think it's obvious why. You know, I talked about Miller Park being, you know, 17% better over the last three years for home runs for lefties. Uh, but that ties in well to Yelich because his big thing has always been a lack of fly balls. All he does is hit the ball on the ground. Well, the last three years, his fly ball rate has gone 15%, 20%, 25%. It's going up in chunks. That doesn't mean it's going to be 30% this year. That's not how things work, but he's definitely been hitting the ball in the air more. I think that's a great thing in that park. And then Milwaukee is second in the majors in stolen base attempts since Craig Council took over as the coach. So when I put those things together, I see a guy who is definitely going to challenge for career highs and homers and steals. Uh, that's 21. So I think he'll probably go over both there. Uh, I think that's kind of, I, I don't want to say that's a super bold call, but I, I think that's a call that I feel comfortable with. He's going to hit close to 300. I think that makes him Mookie Betts light. You know what I mean? I don't think he's got the giant upside as Charlie Blackman. Charlie Blackman is like Christian Yelich in Coors. So I will, uh, I will take the Coors on that, but I do love Yelich and I love him a whole lot. No, that's cool. I just wanted to get your thoughts because, man, as it wavered, I, I like him a ton. And have you seen the Brewers video, The Sandlot, which is absolutely amazing? Oh, yeah. I saw it this morning. It was so great. So great. Unbelievable. Maybe one year in barf after, like, we're 10 years in can reenact something stupid, like a scene oh, from Cheers or something. All we need is Paul Spore to show up as a, as a Yelich lookalike, and we'll be, we'll, we'll be able to reenact it easy. That's what I told him. I said he did a great job in, in portraying um, Benny the Jet. So <laughs> great work there. But Sammy, man, this was awesome. I've been looking forward to this for a while and looking forward to uh, hanging out some more on Saturday. I got NFL in this year, first MLB, which is the one I'm pumped on. So um, thanks for joining me, man. Much appreciated. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. We're going to have a great time on Saturday, and let's uh, let's cut it up. Let's take some shots and, uh, and have a great time with it. It'll be a great time. Uh, everybody check them out on Roto-Grinders, and most importantly, not that Roto-Grinders isn't, check out the Baseball Hawks Anonymous podcast. It is one of the better, if not the best, baseball podcast out there, and that's just not me blowing smoke. I know there's a lot of guys that echo that sentiment. It's really awesome stuff. And he's on Twitter at Sammy Reed FI. You still haven't traded and changed that FI, huh? No, no. I, <laughs> you know, I Early in my Twitter career, I had a number of uh, Twitter handle changes because my original ones were so bad that I think I'm just going to stick with the FI and uh, you know, see where that takes me. Fair enough. But all right, everybody. Bench with Bubba, episode 80 in the books. Again, thanks, Sammy. We'll catch you guys later. My pleasure.